0: The courtroom was quiet enough to hear a pin drop as the four crew members sat with their heads bowed in silence, donning green prison uniforms emblazoned with a yellow stripe and identifying numbers. As their sentences were read aloud, the crew members breathed a sigh of relief, though the public would feel their jaws drop in shock. Welcome to Shipwreck Sunday, my name is Eleanor. Just a quick disclaimer for our younger audience before we dive in. This story may be disturbing to some, so for your discretion is advised. Okay everyone, let's get into it. Last week, we talked about MV Wall's history before the sinking up until the point that she capsized. In this week's episode, we will cover the rescue operations, the investigations and litigation, and the bizarre conspiracies and coincidences that have come out since the sinking. As MVC Seawall sank, the younger passengers took videos of the actual capsizing, and these were recovered. Sadly, some of the passengers joked around, assuming everything would be fine. Others donned life jackets and sent farewells. We are talking about teenage passengers, so, of course, phone calls, text messages, and cacao talk mobile messages were sent out during the capsizing to friends, family members, and loved ones. The last known message was sent out at 1017 a.m. So if you've heard about messages or social media posts sent out by survivors that were trapped yet still alive during the capsizing, just know those were proven false by an investigation by the Cyber Terror Response Center. None of the survivors were using their phones between noon on April 16, 2014 and 10 a.m. on April 17, 2014. Any reported messages sent out during this time are fakes. In total, it took the capsized MVC wall 2.5 hours to sink, roughly the same amount of time it took RMS Titanic to sink. By 11.18 a.m., the stern was entirely submerged, and the hole that remained above water was about 6 feet and 7 inches or 2 meters high and 66 to 98 feet or 20 to 30 meters long. At noon on April 16th, only 20 inches or 50 centimeters of the bulbous bow remained above the waterline and at 1.03 p.m., she'd slip beneath the waves. While the ship was sinking, the rescue would begin. And again, we are going minute by minute here. At 8.58 a.m. Korean Standard Time on April 16, 2014, Patrol Vessel 123 was dispatched. And after news of the capsizing spread to the Jeollonam Provincial Government, the Republic of Korea Navy 3rd Fleet sent out a Gumdoksuri class patrol vessel to the scene at 9.03 a.m. At 9.04 a.m., the government created the Central Disaster Countermeasure Headquarters, which was an organization that would directly report to the government about the disaster. The Navy dispatched another gomdok class patrol vessel, or PKG, at 9.09 a.m. The Korea Coast Guard set up their rescue operations headquarters at 9.10 a.m. Around 9.30 a.m., Patrol Vessel 123 arrived on scene, being the first ship to reach MV Seawall. Between the dispatch and the operations, 123 failed to raise the listing in Roro Ferry and chose to call for help on the radio. Because they couldn't raise the ship, crew members on 123 were not in direct communication with MVC Wall and weren't aware of the content of the communication between MVC Wall and Jindo VTS upon arrival. MVC Wall had already listed 50 to 60 degrees to port by the time 123 arrived. For five minutes, rescuers made announcements, calling for passengers and crew to abandon ship and jump into the water to be rescued. They began rescuing people by 9.38 a.m., dispatching a rubber boat to approach the vessel. Those who had reached the deck or had jumped into the water were rescued, including Captain Lee. However, rescuers could not enter MVC wall because of the heavy listing. Those trapped within the bridge were saved by rescuers breaking windows. The Korean Ministry of Nation Defense started operating counter-disaster headquarters at 9.35 a.m., and five minutes later at 9.40 a.m., the Ministry of Oceans and Fisheries declared the incident to be the highest state of emergency in terms of naval incidents. Therefore, the Central Accident Response Headquarters was established, and at the same time, the Ministry of Health and Welfare sent out emergency vehicles and the first squad of the Disaster Medical Support Team to Jindo. It was reported at 11.28 a.m. that the Korean Navy's Ship Salvage Unit, or SSU, was deployed. At 2.42 p.m., the Republic of Korea Army Special Warfare Command deployed 150 Special Forces personnel. This included 40 scuba divers. In total at this point in time, there were a total of 196 personnel involved in the rescue operations, including 114 in the Republic of Korea Naval Special Warfare Flotilla and 82 in the SSU. At 3.07pm, the regional government of the Gyeonggi Province started operating the Prevention and Countermeasures headquarters. All of these headquarters, and yet to me, it seems like we are making little headway in terms of rescuing those trapped on the now capsized and sunk MBC wall. Units from the SSU would finally start undersea operations after 5 p.m. And at 5.13 p.m., yet another headquarters was established. This time it was the Anson Don Juan High School Accident Countermeasures Report compiling headquarters operated by the Gyeonggi-do Office of Education. By 8 p.m., operations investigating MVC Walls Hull were closed. By 10.03 p.m. on April 16, 2014, we have a lot of moving parts in the rescue operation, including several vessels from the 3rd Fleet and multiple Republic of Korea Air Force support units, as well as 150 units sent by the Republic of Korea Army Special Warfare Command and 11 ambulances. That leads us to the wee hours of the following morning on April 17, 2014. Undyne Marine Industries, a privately owned company, took up the charge to search for missing passengers. At 12.30 a.m., the Korea Coast Guard began hull investigations lit by flares, and by 6 a.m., 171 ships, 29 aircraft, and 30 divers were in the midst of a desperate rescue effort. The KCG had assigned 20 divers to the operation in teams of two, with the Navy also assigning eight of their own divers. However, the KCG didn't allow them to participate, instead waiting for divers from Undyne Marine. Personally, I would have dispatched every diver known to man, but I also don't know anything about running rescue operations. By 7:24 am, civilian groups of dive masters got in on the operation, and at this time the number of divers in the water reached 555. Around 2 pm on April 17, 2014, rescue operations were greatly minimized and almost halted altogether due to poor weather conditions. By nightfall, a marine crane arrived to assist. This leads us into the third day on April 18, 2014, beginning at 10:50 that morning. Divers would enter the capsized vessel's hull, but were only able to access the cargo deck at the same time that the KCG began pumping air into the ship to hopefully support air pockets that might have been keeping victims alive. The diver's entrance would be labeled a failure by the Central Disaster Countermeasure Headquarters. The following day, on April 19th, a Navy petty officer who'd been injured during the rescue died. On April 21st, ROVs began operation in the rescue effort. On April 24th, the CR-200 Crabster robot was sent to the rescue site. On May 6th, an undying Marine Industries diver passed away, followed by yet another diver dying on May 30th. On July 17th, a firefighting helicopter returning from rescue operations on the site crashed near an apartment complex, injuring one high school student and killing all five officers aboard. Death surrounding MVC wall, her rescue, and litigation is strangely not uncommon, so keep this in the back of your mind for later. We do have to note that during an investigation that was conducted by the Social Disaster Special Investigation Committee, they clearly confirmed that the Coast Guard Command was responsible for the 304 lives lost aboard MBC Wall, and they should have attempted to evacuate MBC Wall's passengers given the fact they have authority according to their laws and operation procedures, and they were in a position with clear duties. They failed to do this. A good example of a Coast Guard team that did exactly what they should have done was the Italian Coast Guard during the sinking of Costa Concordia, namely Captain Gregori De Falco. Check out our episode on the sinking of Costa Concordia to hear more about his bravery and service. The Coast Guard command in today's story failed to share the information they had with dispatchers, and they did not try to figure out the specific status of the ship. They knew it was a dire situation, and that they had to act with urgency, and yet they failed to execute the needed commands. Even the government was rather wishy-washy during this whole ordeal. During the sinking and immediately afterward, the South Korean government and media's announcements regarding the seawall disaster were inaccurate and inconsistent. The Huffington Post released an editorial at the time comparing the government's reports to a rubber band. increasing at one moment and decreasing at another, like the stretching and relaxing of Elastic. Conspiracy theories also littered the narrative in the wake of the sinking, and we will cover that later. Some South Korean outlets would release corrections and apologies later on for releasing misinformation. The following year, on April 22, 2015, the South Korean government announced they had approved plans to salvage MVC Wall, wanting to recover the bodies of nine victims who were still unaccounted for and to learn more about the sinking. This plan was initially put forward by President Park Geun-hye and would be endorsed by Park in young the Minister of Public Safety. It was expected to take up to 18 months and cost between 91 and $137 million U.S. dollars. If you're enjoying this video, leave me a like, subscribe to the channel for more content, and let me know down in the comments section below. Okay, back to the story. Let's break down our survivors and casualties, because original estimates were all over the place. In total, of the 476 passengers and crew, 304 were killed. 299 were recovered, with 5 bodies never being recovered. Of the 304 that were killed, 250 were second-year high school students. Among these students were two 16-year-olds, Jeong Jin Lee and his girlfriend Soo Jin Kim, who tied the ends of a cord to the wrist so that they would not be separated, and the two were later found dead together. Rest in peace to all of those who were killed in this disaster. All of them were taken far too soon. The capsizing and sinking of MV Seawall remains the deadliest ferry disaster in South Korea since December 14th, 1970, when the sinking of the ferry Nam Young killed 326 of the 338 people on board. If you'd like me to cover that story, let me know in the comments. Now we get into the investigation and bizarre conspiracies surrounding the sinking of MV Seawall. As recently as December 13th, 2022, investigators have concluded that the cause of the sinking of Wall is undetermined. That's right. We still don't have an official explanation for all of this. Only theories. The first theory given by investigators was that, quote, unreasonably sudden turn to starboard that we spoke of last episode, which was made between 8.48 and 8.49 a.m. Korean Standard Time, and this would have caused the cargo to suddenly shift to the port side, causing MV Seawall to list and eventually capsize. The data recovered from the ship's AIS confirms the existence of this alleged turn, and the ship's surviving crew as well as experts agreed that this is the main cause, so I'm going to say this is the most likely. In addition to this, the ship was vastly overloaded with improperly secured cargo, and this would have added to the ship's imbalance. Overloading can be incredibly dangerous, especially when the ship lacks the amount of ballast water to properly suspend and provide buoyancy to the ship. An MVC wall also suffered from a severe lack of ballast water. They'd even pumped out hundreds of tons of ballast water from the bottom of the ship to accommodate the overloading of cargo. All of this, plus the sharp turn, spells out disaster in any scenario. If you want to hear about another Roro ferry with a deadly cargo situation, check out our episode on MV Princess of the Stars. There are possible secondary causes for the sinking as well adding another layer to this already bizarre and complicated story. There were those hasty and technically illegal renovations done to the ship shortly before her sinking that we covered last week, and this included adding more passenger cabins. This shifted the ship's center of gravity, making her already unstable before the sharp turn, dangerous cargo, and lack of ballast. There's also a theory that a solenoid valve became stuck, which would contribute to the sharp turn. An investigation team called the Social Disasters Commission, or SDC, concluded that this was highly likely, though they couldn't confirm that this caused a sinking due to an external force, though there was some damage and deformation on MVC Wells' hull. Now, we are going to get into the conspiracy theories, all of which I'd say are still technically possible, though far less likely. According to a professor of aviation engineering at Korea Maritime University, Gong Gil-young, MV Wall's sudden turn was just the first cause of the sinking, and the secondary causes were also to blame, namely, an explosion. I don't know what would have exploded, but anything is possible. At the very beginning of the investigation, the Korea Coast Guard thought that the accident was caused by the ship colliding with a reef in the hazardous Mangal Channel, since it was foggy at the time of the accident. Captain Lee adamantly denied this, and a reef collision has been dismissed among experts, and the KCG does not advocate this theory. There's one other theory that is bizarre, and also not unheard of. Several media outlets speculated that the ferry sank due to crashing with a submarine. This theory came from discussions over a screenshot taken from videos of the ferry sinking, where a dark vessel-like shape was seen in the fog behind MBC Wall. Most media outlets would correctly identify the shape as a fishing boat, though a few concluded it could be a military submarine from Israel, France, America, Japan, or South Korea. A Facebook user called Zero Netizens Investigation Team perpetuated this theory, pointing out in a nine-hour-long video that the route MV Wall took didn't match conventional routes, and so external factors like a submarine collision could possibly explain the disaster. Based upon his analysis of radar recordings, this user claimed an errant sub collided with the ship. It's also possible that the Navy might have wanted to hide such an incident, wanting to achieve its goal of sailing 2 million miles without an accident. Another Roro ferry was previously theorized to have been hit by a submarine, and that is MV Estonia, and we do have an episode on her if you're interested. If you're on an audio-only format like Spotify, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, or another podcast service, make sure to subscribe for more episodes and leave us a 5-star review, since it helps us reach more listeners like you. Check out our community tab on YouTube to keep up with us, and we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Okay, back to the story. Now it's time for the legal drama, since there's plenty of it here. On April 19th, 2014, Captain Lee Joon-suk was arrested on suspicion of negligence of duty, violation of maritime law, and other infringements. It is law in South Korea that a captain must stay on the ship to facilitate the rescue of their passengers and attempt to save their vessel before vacating it themselves, and he abandoned his post. MV Wall isn't the only ship with a blatantly obvious case of this infringement. Captain Yavanas Avranis of MTS Oceanos was cowardly and left his post, and we do have an episode talking about that if you're interested. Two other crew members, helmsman Cho Jun Ki and third mate Park Han Kyul, were also arrested the same day on suspicion of manslaughter and negligence. By April 26, 2014, all 12 of the remaining crew who'd been in charge of navigation were arrested. On May 15th, Captain Lee, first Mate Kang Won-sik, second Mate Kim yong ho and chief engineer Park Gi ho were all indicted on charges of homicide through negligence, also known as criminally negligent manslaughter in the United States, and in South Korea this carried the potential for capital punishment. Capital punishment, or the death penalty as it's often referred to as, is the legally authorized killing of someone as punishment for a crime. An example of this is the execution of serial killer Ted Bundy on January 24th, 1989. There are multiple forms of capital punishment, and in South Korea, the primary method is by hanging. The other 11 indicted crew members faced lesser charges of ship safety offenses and abandoning ship. Three crew members were credited by survivors for staying aboard to help them escape, and these three were Park Ji-yong, Jiang Hyun-seon, and Kim Ki-wong, and all three went down with their ship. Rest in peace to these three, and I wish I could personally thank them for sacrificing their lives to help save the lives of others. As for the ship's operators, on May 8, 2014, the chief executive of Chonghaejin Marine, Kim Honsik, sik was arrested on charges including causing death by negligence. Four other officials in the company would be arrested, with their license to service the Incheon to Jeju Island route being revoked in May of 2014 by the Ministries of Oceans and Fisheries. Yoo Byung-Un, the former chairman for Cheonghaejin Marine, mysteriously went missing shortly after the sinking of MV Seawall, and his body was later found decomposing in a plum field by a farmer on June 12, 2014, though it's unknown when he died, how he died, or who or what killed him, though it's definitely suspicious that it happened so soon after the sinking of MV Seawall. The capsizing and sinking of MV Seawall would bring a lot of governmental regulations of shipping in South Korea into question. Shipping in South Korea is regulated by the Korean Shipping Association, as we mentioned last week, and they are an industry trade group, which is considered a likely conflict of interest by experts. In addition, government regulators outside of the association frequently would join the association after their government service, making it biased. Though South Korea's regulations of shipping are stern, they are often poorly enforced. This episode couldn't be possible without our lovely patrons. Thank you all so much! If you'd like to support the channel and future episodes, go to patreon.com shipwrecksunday to join. Let's get into the litigation of everything. Arrest warrants would be issued by the Gwangju District Court on June 3rd, 2014 for a senior vessel safety operator at the Korea Shipping Association's Incheon Unit, and for a vessel inspector of the KR's Mokpo Unit. There were 15 total crew members accused of the sinking. The prosecutors would only seek the death penalty for one, Captain Lee. They ruthlessly sought capital punishment under the charge of homicide for failing to carry out his duty. Lee supplied the cause of the sinking of the seawall. He has the heaviest responsibility for the accident. We ask that the court sentence him to death, said lead prosecutor Park Jae-yuk to the courtroom regarding Lee. No formal pleas of guilty or not guilty were made, but Captain Lee was adamant that he did not intend to kill anyone. The other 14 on trial faced lesser charges, including negligence. Captain Lee was found guilty of negligence and sentenced to 36 years in prison by the Guangzhou District Court on November 11, 2014. According to the judges, he was not the only person responsible for the sinking, and they therefore accepted that his negligence didn't amount to intent to kill. Don't get too angry yet. The prosecutors will save the day later. For now, Chief Engineer Park Gi-ho was found guilty of murder and was sentenced to 30 years. 13 other crew members faced up to 20 years in jail on charges like abandonment and violating maritime law. Relatives of the victims were distraught with the verdict, with some openly sobbing in the courtroom. One woman screamed, quote, It's not fair. What about the lives of our children? They deserve worse than death. I don't blame her for speaking about the defendants this way. If my son perished that way, I assure you, those responsible would know who I was when I was done with them. There were also cases brought against officials for overloading the cargo holds, and during this time, Kim Han-sik, Hae jins chief executive, was found guilty of negligence and would be sentenced to 10 years in prison. A Korean Shipping Association official, as well as six other Chong jin employees, would receive prison terms for this offense. Remember when I said the prosecutors would save the day? Well, after appeals by them as well as by the accused, Captain Lee would be found guilty of murder, and his sentence increased to life imprisonment on April 28, 2015. Meanwhile, the other 14 crew members were reduced to a maximum sentence of 12 years, and this includes Chief Engineer Park Ki-ho, whose murder conviction was overturned and his sentence was reduced to 10 years. Quote, we drew a distinction between the captain Lee Jeon-suk, who has a grave responsibility, and crew members who took orders from the captain, explained Judge Jeon Ilho. And even Kim Han-sik's sentence would be reduced to 7 years. Something still doesn't sit right with me here. It's just such an ugly situation, and I feel like Captain Lee's cowardice was either on the same level as Captain Scatino from Costa Concordia or possibly even worse. Let me know what you think. There's a lot of political mumbo-jumbo that happened afterward, but I'm not going to get into it since it doesn't tell the victim's story, and that's what's really important here. The 416 Coalition, which is the translated name for it, represents some of the Seawall victims' families, and since the incident, it has pushed for the sinking of MV Seawall to be properly investigated. After they'd evaluated the results of the investigation done by the SDC, they pointed out four major flaws in the findings. Number one, the investigation of the failed rescue efforts on the day of the capsizing was not conducted properly, which isn't surprising since the rescue didn't seem to be either. Number two, there were some fishy decisions made by President Park geun hye and her administration, and these were broadcasted for the world to see. Some of the transgressions include interfering with the investigation of the rescue and sinking, concealing information, illegal interrogations, and violations of the rights of the victims' families. Even worse is the fact that it's impossible to obtain data from Korea's intelligence agencies, being that the acting prime minister after Park was impeached and removed from office designated Park's activities on April 16, 2014 as a matter of presidential record, and therefore they cannot be accessed for up to 30 years. That means when I am 45, we might know what truly happened, but not until then, and I am currently 24, so we have a long way to go. Number three, the cause of the sinking couldn't be found, which is infuriating for the victims' families. And finally, number four, there were several limitations and issues revealed in the investigation process, including intense confusion due to the lack of communication. I sincerely hope the coalition is successful in uncovering the truth and getting justice, peace, and closure for the victims' families, friends, and loved ones. We have one final piece in this puzzle to place, the salvage. It's almost as intense as Costa Concordia's. The salvage operation to raise MV Seawall began on March 22, 2017. The South Korean government contracted Shanghai Salvage Company, a Chinese consortium, to raise the Roro Ferry. MV Seawall was laying on her port side, almost 40 meters or 131.23 feet underwater. First, diesel fuel and oil were drained from the ship. To prevent anything from drifting out of the ship, the passenger cabins were all sealed and a huge fence was put up on the seabed to catch debris. After this, cables were attached to the ship and then attached to a large crane, which lifted the bow 5 degrees so that 33 lifting beams could be shoved underneath. After this, the salvage crew drained the water from the ballast tanks and pumped them full of air, making the ship more buoyant. To add to this buoyancy, they attached giant airbags to the vessel to lift her more. After this, cables would be attached to the 33 lifting beams and strand jacks gradually lifted MVC wall up to 13 meters or 42.66 feet below the surface, where she'd be attached to a barge. The barge would tow MVC wall to be loaded onto the dockwise white marlin, a semi-submersible vessel. Semi-submersible vessels, also known as a heavy lift ship, is a vessel designed to move very large loads that cannot be handled by normal ships. MVC Wall would be loaded up onto self-propelled modular transporters while aboard the heavy-lift ship, and these took her to shore. She docked at Mokpo, where ALE, a privately held UK company specializing in heavy transport and lifting, were contracted to unload the vessel using self-propelled modular transporters. The wreck is still currently located on a Mokpo dock at 34 degrees, 45 minutes, 30.69 seconds north and 126 degrees, 21 minutes, 3.30 seconds east. There she sits today, a rusted shell of her former self. At the time of the capsizing, nine passengers were unaccounted for. In order of the date they were retrieved, the remains of teacher Go Cheng suk were located at the sinking site after the ship was removed, and after this, the remains of Danwon High School students Hyo Da-yoon and cho Yun hye as well as passenger Lee Yong-suk, were found within the ship. For most of the victims at this point, which is roughly three years after the sinking, only partial remains were found and had to be identified with DNA testing. Rest in peace to these victims, and I hope their families have found peace. Search operations officially ceased on October 19, 2018, and presently, five victims remain missing and are presumed dead. They are Danwon High School students Nam Hyun Cheol, age 16, and Park Yong In, age 16, Teacher Yang Seong Jin, age 57, and finally, father and son passengers Kwon Jae-Gun, age 48, and Kwon Hyok Gu, age 6. Rest in peace to these five victims, and I hope one day their remains are found so they may be laid to rest. The capsizing and sinking of MV Wall is tragic, devastating, and absolutely enraging. How could this happen? How could so many innocent teenagers be told to stay put and die on this vessel? How can a captain and crew be so cowardly, cold, and selfish? There are so many questions left unanswered that, unfortunately, dear listeners, may never be answered. All I know is that the victims' families, friends, and loved ones deserve justice, peace, and closure. And the victims deserve to be at peace, honored, and cherished. Rest in peace to all who perished, we shall never forget. That is the end of the story of M.V. Seawall. If you liked that story and wanted to hear something similar, check out our episode on M.V. Salem Express, a row-row ferry that sank in the Red Sea with a massive loss of life. Thank you for tuning in to Shipwreck Sunday, and stay tuned next week for the story of S.S. Daniel J. Morrill, a Great Lakes freighter that broke up on Lake Huron and took all but one of her crew with her. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.